Welcome to the Dad Ass Podcast, the subpar, mediocre at best podcast about being a new dad. Hey, hey, and welcome to the Dad Ass Podcast, the completely unscripted, unconventional podcast just trying to help us all figure out this whole parenting and adulting thing. I'm Matt, the self proclaimed dad ass, and with me as always is Sean, aka Dude, the resident family counselor. Sir, are you ready for a two parter, the second part of the two parter? Yeah, I'm pumped. I mean, the first part was great. We had a lot of awesome uh, questions and conversation, and I um, I know that uh, this next part will be no different. Absolutely. I say we just jump right into it. Let's do it. So this first question we have uh, actually came from a dad listener, and he says, and I'm reading this verbatim, for school-based mental health, what's the best strategy for my wife and I with our seven-year-old first grader? And here's the situation with his first grader. When he gets anxiety in the morning before school, he loves school, excels, has good friends, great teacher, but once or twice a week, he has a meltdown getting ready and on his way to school. He just sobs, says he's scared, gets a stomach ache. But when we check in with him and with the school, they said he's doing fine. Then when we check in with him after school, He says it was the best day ever. So as parents, it's exhausting dragging him literally to the car. So any advice for me? Mm. All right. So I deal with this quite a bit, actually, Um, in various forms and things. Um, My first um, piece uh, right away is... Um, don't try and have a rational conversation when we're in an irrational place. So um, while we're driving to school sobbing, trying to delve into like why this is happening is not going to be a productive, helpful conversation. It's just not. Um, and that's a really important thing to start with because um, I, I think sometimes people um, sometimes don't want to talk about um, – like difficult things when things are good. Cause like, why would I bring up something like, I think sometimes people are like, well, everything's cool now. So like, I'm not going to bring it up while we're driving to school. Cause like what happens if it, you know, um, but I would encourage you to sort of like lean into those conversations when, it, when everyone's in a more rational, calm place. I mean, that also includes you as the parent, like that's frustrating. Your kid is freaking out, uh, you know, fit all that sort of stuff. Um, so don't try and have, irrational conversation in an irrational situation. Uh, That's the first part. The second part, um, I think there's a variety of ways to go about this, but the, for me, the number one thing here is um, making sure the kid gets into the building and goes in, into school. Um, When we start doing things like, um, well, I won't take you today, then that starts a whole pattern of behavior that becomes very, very difficult to sort of break and then actually becomes something that we call school refusal. Um, so um, no matter how difficult it may be, continuing that sort of um, we got to get to school, um, it also proves or shows when you continue to take them as difficult as it may be um that there's nothing to be afraid of at school that it's an okay place to be those sorts of things um so no matter how difficult it gets the kid needs to continue to go to school 
Um, the third thing to remember is that this, just like almost every other part of our life, um, uh, is a phase and it's not a fun one, um, but uh, it's unlikely that it will continue forever and ever, right? Um, and that's a really hard thing. Sometimes these last longer than others. Some For some kids, it's like the first couple of weeks of school. For, for other kids, it might be all of first grade. Um, but I can say that I have yet to really work with anyone who has been like a consistent for several years, like, um, you know, been a thing that they've sort of battled through, um, recognize and, and, um, one of the most, so there was a, there's a book called, um, well, there's two books, how to talk. So kids will listen and how to listen. So kids will talk. And there's another one for littler kids called how to talk. So little kids will listen and listen. So little kids will talk. Um, and interestingly enough, I want to say that the original, the, the, the little kids is the second version and it's actually written by the original author's daughter. If I'm remembering that correctly. Anyway, one of the things it talks about is, um, sort of, in the moment of distress saying to a child isn't it i'm so sorry that um your day is starting this way um it's you know like basically i can identify that uh with your day not starting in a way that you planned um so in a um developmentally appropriate way but basically saying like i see you this the, I, I see that it sucks and it sucks that your day is starting the way that it is and it's not the way that you or i planned it but i want you to know that i see it um you know and the author actually in the book i believe uses the example of like a kid falls down scrapes their knee and if you like walk over and you're like you're fine you're fine you're fine a lot of times um it makes it worse but if you go over and you say oh i'm so sorry that you fell on and scraped your knee that that probably really hurt and i'm sorry that that's something that you had to go through um in the author's experience and i can tell you this in my professional experience as well um it's astonishing how just like completely validating someone's experience in that moment how powerful that is so instead of saying like why are we doing this i don't want to fight over this that sort of stuff just say, I'm so sorry that today you are having such a rough start to your day. It's not what I want for you. Now, Sarah, I see you nodding, but I mm -hmm. also am very curious. Early on when Sean first started speaking, right after I'd asked this question, you wrote some things down. Yeah, so... I'm um, dying to know what you wrote down. So it wasn't, I promise, it really wasn't anything exciting. It was just helping oh. me keep the question in mind. So it was um, just kind of the parameters of the question themselves. Um, but it sounds like from a clinical perspective, right, we would talk about what this kiddo is experiencing as psychosomatic issues, right? The stomach aches, the headaches, right? All of that stuff is how anxiety presents itself in our bodies. I want to add an addendum to what Sean is saying about the importance of how we regulate our own nervous systems, right? Again, going back to brain science for a second and how we help children regulate their nervous systems at the same time, right? So by recognizing, doing exactly what Sean is saying, right? Recognizing that this kiddo is struggling and saying, hey, this really sucks, I see you. And 
not getting sucked into the anxiety of that at the same time, right? But being able to be a calming presence for your kiddo helps them regulate to your nervous system being calm and settled rather than you taking on the anxiety of the kiddo and regulating your nervous system to theirs, right? So the options in this scenario are kiddo is anxious, parents are calm, that's one choice, right? Another choice is parents are calm, so kiddo is calm. Another choice is kiddo is anxious, so parents are anxious, right? And so there's a lot of ways that that can work itself out. But I think if we recognize, so like, for example, this comes up in my work when, let's say a client is having a panic attack in session, or they're having some kind of like anxiety or trauma response in session. If I join them in that and I'm like, oh God, like what's happening? Like every, let's panic, let's freak out, right? Like, well, that's going to end in a really rough way and probably might end in that client not coming back to see me. But if I can say, okay, you're panicking. It's okay. This is going to last. If it's an, if it's actually a panic attack, this is going to last for about 15 minutes. You're not going to feel great. You're going to feel really overwhelmed. It seems like you're feeling really scared. You're going to be okay. This is going to stop soon. Right. And I can do that in a very sort of gentle, calming way. I'm encouraging my client to join me in that calm rather than me joining them in their panic. And it's really cool. Yeah. Wow. I'm That's exactly at what notes. happens. I'm sorry. I'm looking <laughs> at my notes and all of a sudden I'm like cranking up the volume. I apologize. No, it's after, awesome. That was, that was beautiful timing right here. It's beautiful timing. I love it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think exactly like what Sean's saying, right? Like let's validate this kid's experience because goodness gracious. Right. I also have a very distinct memory of being in first grade. I think it was like the first day of first grade and I was going to ride the bus and we had a gap in this like wall where our refrigerator sat that was just big enough for me to fit between the wall and the fridge. And I got in there and I'll be damned if I was coming out of there to get on the bus. No way. So a couple of things come to mind to ask the kid about, again, as Sean is saying, not when we're panicking, but when things are calmer. Um, is there some, and again, in developmentally appropriate ways, and y'all would have better ideas about what that would sound like than I would. Um, but like, are you feeling some sort of pressure or stress to do well at school? Right. Because I think oftentimes that like educational pressure to do well starts early and often. Um, but then I would also be curious if there's something going on that this kid is not looking forward to that's like causing them to stress out or feel unsafe. So if it were my kiddo, I'm going to stress the importance of you're safe. It's okay. And if you're not feeling safe, let's talk about why and what's going on, because I want you to feel safe at school in, in whatever way, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Right. I think the last thing that I would point out too is, are they afraid to go to school or are they afraid to leave home? Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of kids have that attachment to parent, sibling, house, pet. And if they're not there, then what's going to happen? Um, I worked with a little kiddo that in, in foster care. So obviously he'd been through 
um, his bio home, they were homeless for a while. So I think by the time I picked him up at three and a half years old, he'd had seven different homes. So um, his big thing when he had to go to daycare was, am I going to be picked up? Um, yeah. So we ended up giving him the TV remote to take with him to daycare because that TV remote that has to go back to the house. And it, I mean, you know, little kids sometimes undervalue their their own value, but they yeah. they know that TV remote has to go back to that house. So if they're you know, if I have the TV remote, then my foster mom, foster dad, mom, dad, they have to come pick me up because I have something they need. That is brilliant. I love that. I'm yeah, so, so here for that. Also look at it as, is it really school or is it something that they're leaving? Yeah. I think that's an excellent point from the perspective of uh, how we think about developmental trauma. There is um, one of the theories about trauma uh, is called NARM. It's the neuroaffective relational model. Um, and that perspective holds that we all have five core emotional needs um, that start off essentially from the time that we're born. If I can remember them offhand, uh, connection, attunement, love, autonomy, and trust. I think I got those right. Um, I apologize to the creators of NARM if I missed one or misspoke. But basically what happens is if, if those needs aren't met, then it's really difficult for us as people and again, this is like from the time that we are newborns, we start to develop this. If those needs aren't met, we start to learn that the world is unsafe and that we cannot trust our caregivers, which in turn then means that we can't trust ourselves. And then the, forget about the train being on the tracks, like they're, they're just not even connected. Um, to add one other little thing, one of the things that I've um, done not as much I do I do this a little bit more when anxiety presents as anger which is a definitely a thing that happens um but complimenting a kid on their current state and being like wow you're doing a really great job at being angry right now mm -hmm. um but then pointing out not the th not the things pointing out whatever positive coping skill they're employing so if this is a child that like normally throws something or hits you can say i can, you're doing a great job of being you know angry right now i can tell you're angry but you know i'm noticing that you're sitting calmly or those sort like pointing out the sort of positive things that they are doing um so you know something to consider trying is you know along the same lines of, of when we're talking about um anxiety and this more traditional thing of like you're doing a great job of of letting me know that you're feeling anxious you know i'm wondering if there's some other things that that we could do instead though um you know uh on our sasha and i were having a conversation of avoiding the word don't um which um kind of depending on who's listening might sound like really like hippy dippy but we were talking about um i finally remembered the other thing that i was going to share which was that when a kid is running through the house instead of saying um don't run say walk we walk in this house 
And uh, if a kid is talking a bunch and it's quiet time, instead of saying, stop talking, maybe say, it looks like you need to talk. Let's find a place for you to do that. Or if they're running, it looks like your body needs to run. Let's find a safe place for you to do that. If they're at the playground and they're um, pushing other kids on the playground and they're not being safe, then you could pull them off the playground and say, it looks like your body wants to be a little bit more physical than um, what's safe. So let me find a space. Why don't we go over into this um, open field? Um, and so they're not getting to continue to play on the, the big toy, but um, you're not telling them to not feel what they're feeling or those sorts of things. And they're, they become a little bit more aware. The thing that I talk to parents a lot about is um, the language we use you know, sometimes it sounds like we're like really picking apart words and we are, um, but we're playing a long game in this. Um, it's not a short, immediate fix, um, but we're trying to pay as, as adults and, and caregivers and even partners. Um, it's not just children um, paying attention to the consistent words that we use with other people. Um, can have a really, really big impact on the way they see the world, the way they see their relationships with people. Like, so yeah, like it would be easy to roll your eyes at something and be like, well, it's the same thing, except I would offer it's not, right? There is like this little tiny difference that uh, after hearing it a thousand times becomes a bigger thing. Um, so just my two cents. So I've had about every question on one of these pages that I've wanted to ask in response to something the three of you have said um, <laughs> in the past um, several minutes. But where you've left it with a thousand times, Sean, I'm going to tee up a question here. Um, for those of us who work in the business world or who are teachers or insert probably a thousand other um, professions, we have been on a thousand zoom calls <laughs> and we've gone through what feels like um was it bill murray's groundhog day <laughs> so we who are parents partners um whoever we are in whatever capacity that we work we're getting this like brain fog and that's a term that I, outside of any professional setting um, that you three live in, work in, um, have heard that term brain fog a lot of late that I feel like is something that a lot of folks are getting through this pandemic. What are some ways that we as parents, partners, leaders, uh, business leaders and owners can work through this brain fog that we are uh, living through right now? Good question. I go back to, I, and I can't remember, I'm sorry, which one of you talked about it earlier, like limiting screen time. Sasha. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sasha said that. Thank you, Sean. Um, that like as adults, we need to do the same thing, right? Cause we're really not that far away from childhood in terms of what our brains need to function well. Um, and, and we're not made, we were not made in my sort of understanding of the universe as minimalistic as it is we're not made to sit in front of screens all day, right? So I think, you know, the advent of Zoom has been a wonderful adaptation for how do we sort of live life during a pandemic. 
But with the advent of cell phones, smartphones, right? We are on 24-7. We have the ability, the potential to be on 24-7. And I'm not a person who really believes in like should or shouldn't as general philosophies. I think those things carry a lot of um, judgment and emotional weight. But I'm going to intentionally use the word shouldn't here, knowing what that means to me. Like we should not be engaged with technology as much every day as we are right now, you know? So clients have talked to me about, you know, my, my days are really monotonous. And I think this is where the brain fog comes in. I roll out of bed. I maybe don't change my clothes. I maybe don't brush my teeth. I maybe don't brush my hair. You all clearly are not brushing your hair. <laughs> not you, hey now, Sasha. I, have hair. I was going to say your hair is lovely, but these other two don't have is any hair to brush. Joke? It is a bald joke. <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on it. Um, but you know, so we're not we're not doing those self care things, right? But we're rolling out of bed and we're we're hopping on Zoom because everybody else is doing the same thing, which is great because now at least now we know we can do business in our pajamas and still be effective at our work, right? But also, we've fallen out of routine, right? So we, we wake up, we hop on Zoom, we go back to bed. And it has, it's just so monotonous, right? Because what we're doing after we gotta get off Zoom for the day when we're laying in bed is we're on our phones, right? So we've got in our awake hours, screens upon screens upon screens, right? And we'll flip from one screen to the next, you know? And then hope that in, in some way, like our brains are still going to function. Like, no, guys, come on. We got we to gotta turn it off. We got to disconnect. Like, you know, Sean, you were talking about earlier. We have to go outside. You know, adults need to play too. We had a professor in grad school who intentionally in class one day took us all outside and talked about the importance of play as adults. We got to color. We blew bubbles. We played Frisbee. Like there was so much... It was awesome. We had a great time and everybody felt so good after we did that, that it was easy then to go back to what needed our focus and attention because we had that space to disconnect and we had that space, not, not to disconnect from each other, right? So I would actually say we had that space to disconnect from technology, from that sort of intensity of academia to go outside and connect on a human level with one another. Yeah. And I think that like, that's really missing and is very, very much creating brain fog. I know there's a lot more to say about this, but I want to chime in as the non-professional here. Yeah. The one thing I refused to do, and I was adamant about this during the stay at home, was to forgo getting up at four in the morning, doing my morning workouts, and wearing pants to work. And I've done it through the entire... Um, entirety of the stay at home through now, whether I'm working at home in the dining room office or working in my office the couple days a week, I have not wavered from my morning routine and the same and, and Heather and I together doing the same routine that we would do in the evening solely because we know one day we will go back to working five days in the office and we didn't want to get out of, out of that structure. And I don't know the science behind it. And I know that there's probably 
hours more of dialogue that we can have just based off, off what you were saying. But when we thought this was only going to be three weeks, according to Father DeWine, <laughs> I believe that's the term that Sean um, coined. Yeah, Father DeWine. By, oh, Father no. DeWine. I was like, you know what? I'm still going to wake up even though you know, I'm going to go down to the basement at the same time. I don't have to drive to the gym, so I probably could sleep in a little bit later. I could probably do this. I could probably do that. I could probably... I started at the same time in the morning I would if I was in the office. I had showered. I had done the same meals just because I took years to feel strong and as if that was just how my life is. And I did not want to waver from that. And I still, I mean, there's some mornings where I'm like, you know what? I can sleep in or I could sleep in another half hour because I know there's still enough time, but I don't want to get away from what keeps me going physically, mentally, spiritually, insert spiritually, however others that are mm -hmm. listening might, whether that's church or just mindfulness. Sure. I have not, and, and Heather's done even an even better job than I at making sure that we are still working those in because we want to, as best as we can, not feel like we're shifting our lives fully in every capacity through this. Now, I still feel like I'm getting that brain fog, which goes back to my, my question. I want to hear what Sasha and Sean said, but just listen to how you were, you were answering that, Sarah, made me realize I am so thankful I have not stopped yeah. my way of life fully in the ways that I still can control because, well, I could just put sweatpants on and sleep in till eight because work doesn't start till 8.30. <laughs> and no yes. disrespect to you no, or anyone else no. that's wearing sweatpants because there's days I've worn dress shirts tucked into or untucked to shorts. Yeah. But I can, I can move more freely at the dining room office <laughs> in shorts. Absolutely. But they're cargo shorts. They, they, they're nice shorts. Oh, stop. I do, Just stop talking, Matt. You're I do want yourself to feel into a, a, hole, buddy. a little dressed up while I'm at work. <laughs> so it's funny that you say that. Um, Pre-pandemic, um, I personally struggle with a lot of anxiety. Um, and whenever I would go into the office um, and be super dressed up and I had, you know, full face of makeup on and my hair done, um, those were the days that I struggled the most. So mm -hmm. getting in a routine, being able to um, enjoy what I looked like for myself um, often really helps our mental health. So being in a structured schedule, sticking to a routine that works for you, being able to get up to, you know, invest time in yourself. Um, I've started a self-care workshop, for lack of a better word, for my agency. Um, because I've noticed the need and it's, you know, here is a 15 minute guided meditation, or here is a sheet mask. I'm, I work in a all female, um, agency, so I don't know, men, if you want sheet masks too, they're great. Um, but that is a 10 minute, you have to take a break for yourself and not do anything else. It kind of cuts through that brain fog. And I would also go further to say that, um, you know, it's kind of a community trauma that we're going through right now with the pandemic Absolutely. and a brain fog helps to protect you. Your brain is trying to shut down so that it is not traumatized more than it already is. And especially for those people that either have anxiety or always are constantly worrying or afraid of things. Those are the people that really notice that brain fog of, oh my gosh, what 
day is it? Um, one, there's nothing wrong with that. This is your brain trying to protect you. And if that's what you need in the current moment, then that's okay. Um, if you want to change it up, go outside, get in nature, do a workout, regardless of whether you like working out or not, you know, something to kind of um, wake your brain up. Um, but the monotony really, it's a self-protection mechanism. Um, and then when you're ready to step out of that, get yourself on a schedule, invest in yourself, even if you don't know the, the dress shirts that you're wearing or for women makeup hair, or, you know, for men too, whatever makes you feel good about yourself do that not for other people but for yourself and that should help your brain to kind of wake up out of that state yeah so i have like a a unique experience with this um in that i went through just like everybody else um sort of the, the covid um stuff but then um and did okay with that um you know, I work in a school. We were actually just reflecting on this um, before we were recording about, um, you know, we like left for spring break and didn't return to the building until the next school year. Um, and I did really pretty well with um, having a schedule and all those sorts of things during school time. And then um, summer break came um, and that was all right. Um, and then, you know, I had the, the unique experience of of going through chemo and when I was going through chemo um the sort of um monotony where Monday was no different than Sunday which was no different than Tuesday which was no different than Saturday um you know and and that the reason for that was um specific to a medical thing but um the experience of that still bears some similarity um in terms of just like not getting up and all those sorts of things and one of the things um when i was finished with chemo and everything i originally was like okay i'm gonna get back into a routine it's gonna be the greatest routine on the entire like face of the earth and i'm gonna do all these things that are like healthy and good for me and all of this sort of stuff and I had like the best laid plans um but then it it became apparent that i didn't need to have like the perfect routine i just needed to have like structure and routine um so i would say that like a small st small but giant step at the same time is if you've fallen completely out of your routine um barring it being something incredibly unhealthy and a terrible coping mechanism but like Going back to what your normal routine was before is a okay like place to start, um, and then saying okay, well, like once you get back into that, is there something that we can do to improve it? I think sometimes people um, fall out of a routine and then and then they're like, well, I'm going to fix it and I'm going to do all these things, and then they basically make what would be a great routine if you had like you know three hours to yourself every morning and you know didn't you have to go to work and all those sorts like they just make unrealistic expectations of themselves and of the routine and those sorts of things um but just like i remember people asking me when i started going back to work like how are things going and um 
it sounded so silly, but I, my answer was almost always that it was really exciting that Saturday and Sunday had meaning again. Um, and I, I felt bad about that for a while because I was like, that makes it sound like I'm just like working just so that I can live during the weekend. And I didn't mean it that way, but like, there was really nice that like, I like Friday would happen. And I'd be like, Ooh, tomorrow is Saturday. Like, um, so I think that, um, there is that piece of like, if you're, if you've fallen out of routine, getting back into some form of it doesn't have to be the best thing. It doesn't have to be perfect, but something, um, uh, I think that's that's probably a really big thing. And just like you guys have talked about, that like this fog is a normal um, protective thing uh, your brain has um, developed over an incredible span of time. And um, it's not something to fix. It's something to sort of just say, this is where I'm, I'm at. Um, and I would offer that the more you sort of stress and um, really hone in and focus on that, probably the worse it'll sort of get. Um, so I think not just with this topic, but just all things in terms of like COVID, we just need to be gentle with ourselves. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So to, to, to be gentle with ourselves and, and two of the themes that I heard um, through, through your answers for this question came down to... Um, reality and our expectations, as well as um, coming back to kind of keeping uh, a, a routine, hearing that and in being gentle with ourselves being, um, gosh, even just forgiving of ourselves right now when, when we just can't keep it all together. If there was just one trick or, or, or pause type activity or not activity gosh it sounds like you're a preschool teacher i don't I, I don't mean that but if 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 i came to you and said i'm in this fog i just i don't have my routine i can't keep it together and i just everything that i want is not happening on my timeline what's that one like exercise that you would tell me. I know there's probably 10. I'm sure there's probably a dissertation that you would like to provide. One thing that I've done came from this guy up in my top left corner, and I believe it's called a box breath. Breathing in, two count, hold two count, out two count, pause two count. And that has helped me sleep. That has helped me keep from writing emails that I've not wanted to write, but I started to write, but I really wanted to hit send, but didn't want to hit send. Box breath. Is that what it was called? Yep. Yep. Yes, I do listen to you half the time. Half. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, and this goes with, with, with a question of, you know, what could keep me from not flipping my shit, I believe is how it was written. Perfect. Um, but what would be that, like, if, if you had – just one thing to give to someone because they don't have the mental capacity. And I don't mean that in a negative light, but like they can only hold on to one thing right now. What would be that, that skill or that exercise you would, you would give them or suggestion? Make your bed. Make your bed. That way, you know, it's, it's a routine. You get out of the bed, you make it, you smooth the sheets, you put the comforter on, you put the pillows on, whatever it is for your bed. It one separates you from sleep, starts your day off right. And then at the end of the night, when you get into your bed, you have a clean bed that looks good that you can then get into. 
yeah, I don't think we need to say anything else. I mean, I think oh. that's pretty solid. Oh, man. Thanks for that. Jeez. There's actually a book written on it that I absolutely love. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not an okay, so this is, I was going to say, this is not original work here, Sasha. No. I see, I see. No. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it helps. But yes. I, see, I see the value and the depth in what that can do for someone mentally, physically, like just all around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And baby steps. Cause if you can make your bed, then you can get up and go to the bathroom and brush your teeth and wash your face. You can get dressed. It's just a good start to the day, as opposed to dragging yourself from the bed and not having that separation because for your brain, having that separation from this is where I sleep and it needs to be finished before you can move on to something else is really, really important and really basic. And you'd be surprised at how big of a change in your life that makes. Good luck to you two answering this. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna just add on to that, right? Unmake because your there's, bed? No, <laughs> because there's absolutely no way that I'm going to top that. But what I would say, um, Sarah's bed is in fact made behind her. Okay, but I need to reiterate that this is our spare room. Okay, this is an extra bed in our house. Just take ownership, Sarah. Just take I, ownership. No, because I believe in the value of honesty and owning my real shit, which is that my bed is not made and has not been made, ex with the exception of maybe twice during the entire pandemic. Um, but what <laughs> into it, Kimberly washed the sheets tonight. Or today, and I'm so excited to sleep on freshly laundered sheets. Clean sheet day, yes. Clean sheets and like fresh out of the shower, where like yes. you're still like that cold, warm like type yes. sensation, then going Perfect. into warmish type sheets. Yeah. That's probably the best feeling. Like if someone said, think of your happy, I'm going to pretend like you just counseled me and like I'm sitting <laughs> on a couch in my basement <laughs> and you were like, find your happy place. I think it would be that I just got into like clean skivvies from a warm shower, but I'm kind of cold, but I'm still kind of warm. But then I get into these sheets that are kind of warm. Like that's my happy space. It's not an island or a mountain or in a speakeasy in someone else's basement. I love that. Perfect. I think that's wonderful. No, I really would add just this one other thing, though, and it, it's perfectly in line with what you're saying, Sasha, and that is to separate, particularly for people who are working from home um, and who are going to school at home, mm -hmm. separate your workspace from your sleeping space. Yes. Don't have your Zoom meetings in your bed if you have the privilege of having more than one space in your house. Even if you have to set up like a, we have like this table thing right here. Even if you have to set up a table that is not on your bed, it is separate and distinct from where you're sleeping. So it's adding to what Sasha's saying. You have these sort of separations of these things in not only in your brain, but you have them in your physical space as well. So I was going to say, I have an intern um, and she did one of the most creative things. She lives in a house with roommates but she took her closet and put a little table in there and that is her workspace so that she can work in her bedroom but it looks like an office because she has a curtain that she draws across the the office space from her bedroom space that's, that's perfect awesome. that's, I love that. that's great all right so my response i'm not trying to try and top them i'm going to take it in a slightly different um direction Oh, come on, man. We could have been three for three. No, no I'm just kidding. No, I think you're going to like it, though. 
Hopefully. Probably. Yeah. Let's not. see what happens. So, uh, not. anyone who is being hypercritical of themselves and the fog that they're in is already in the midst of basically a juxtapositional argument. Um, I would point out to them that their fog, although may it may not be what their um, they don't feel like that same like sort of cognitive sharpness. But um, what I would point out to them or ask them is why they think they're self-aware enough to know, realize that they're in a fog or help them understand that they're that they are self-aware enough to realize that they're in a fog and that if they were truly in this depth despairing sort of place, then they may not actually be even aware of that of the fog in which they'd be sitting in. And so pointing out that although everything may not be great and rosy, um, they have still preserved some level of self-awareness to the point um, where they're like, something's not okay. And it's always okay to not be okay. Um, and yeah. so um, helping, because I think sometimes what ends up happening is, is that, you know, we end up in this like negative self-talk or this like, we gigantify this problem like oh my gosh i can't think of anything but like all these sorts of things and really somebody needs to sometimes sit us down and be like well look it can't be that bad because you're actually aware that it's uh, on some level that it's not great um and if as long as you still hold that awareness um there's a place to work from um and so not not beating yourself up over this now if you want like a legit actual technique i'm all about breathing in, in part because of there's a, a good amount of neuroscience that goes with it. Um, and um, people tend to like an actual um, tangible sort of skill that they can um, do. So in addition to box breathing, if you don't want to do box breathing, um, if you have someone hold out their, their hand and then trace their th uh, finger or, you know, trace starting on one side, either on their pinky side or their thumb side, where they breathe in, and then when they get to the top of a finger or a thumb, they hold it and then out as they come down and then in and then out as they come down, hold it in. And what this does is slows your breathing, but then it also provides a little bit of sensory input to you, um, which theoretically should increase neural pathways to help um, you sort of... Um, more adequately or not adequately absorb that skill better i guess is yeah. sort of putting it um and for so. parents of little children blowing bubbles mm -hmm. same thing because sometimes little kids can't they don't have that ability to like think about it so if you have them blow bubbles that's having them blow out and then you can help them um you know with either a hand on their chest or whatever to breathe in slowly and then they're going to blow out those bubbles again so that you really know, helps the younger ones i also think too and i know this because um you'd be shocked at the level of understanding that even a child as young as like fourth grade um the like how deep of a conversation you can have about their brain and their body and those sorts of things so i have actually um I start teaching kids 
uh, appropriate scientific names for um, parts of their brain, like their amygdala and their cortex and stuff, starting in about fourth grade. Um, and what's really amazing is once they under once they heard this information, and again, this is not everyone, but like if it's a kid who was like kind of interested, your brain can be a really is a really interesting thing to learn about. Um, so when they're in the midst of this sort of feeling of fog or feeling of panic or feeling of worry, um, asking them, well, like, what part of, you, of your brain do you think is working really hard right now? Um, and they can say, well, my amygdala. Okay, well, we know that that's like the panic button of your, of your brain. Um, do you feel like, as we're talking about it, that this is an actual panic button moment? Um, you know, so helping kids, helping kids like properly identify in, in real and scientific terms, um, parts of their body, whether that's their brain or other um, parts of their body is also really, really important and helpful. And for some kids, it gives just one extra layer of understanding about maybe what's sort of going on. Um, so that they, I feel like a lot of times kids and, and, and adults to feel like um, feelings and emotions and reactions happen to them and they don't get to participate in the process. Um, but that's not entirely true. You, you, you do get to sometimes participate in that process. Um, and that's an empowering thing for, for people to start to realize and understand. Um, yeah, I think for more language for parents and kiddos, and I'll try to make this explanation pretty quick. Um, so Sean's talking about the amygdala as the fear center or the panic button in our brain. It sits right in the middle. Our brains develop from the bottom up. So like our prefrontal cortex sits right, like if you touch your forehead, right behind that bone is your prefrontal cortex. That's responsible for higher order thinking, logic, long-term planning, adulthood, right? And it's the thing that develops last in our brain. But the amygdala, this panic button, this fear center in our brain is part of what we call the sympathetic nervous system. And that's responsible for fight or flight. This thing that we like, we don't have any control over it. That's what you're saying, Sean, feels like happens to us, right? So I think if we want to help kids, adults, whomever sort of name and take agency and ownership then over what's happening to them, is you can talk about the, the opposite of the sympathetic nervous system being the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's the thing that brings everything back to calm. It brings it back to homeostasis, right? It, it really helps people chill out. And so when I was learning about these two different parts of our nervous system, I remembered them by saying that like the parasympathetic nervous system is like putting on a pair of pajamas for your brain, right? And so when we want little kids to settle down, we can say, okay, we need to, we need to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, or we need to turn that on right now. So let's put on some jammies for your brain. How can we do that? Blow bubbles, box breathing, count on your fingers. Another thing that's really easy for kids who know how to count to five and who can differentiate their colors. I need you to tell me five things in this room right now that are blue, mm. right? And you can help them count through them because it's going to give their brain a handful of tasks that shift it away from that sympathetic nervous system, that panic button response and turn on this sort of pajama brain response. It's like, okay, we can all take a deep breath. We can all calm down. 
you know, it's on, okay. that note, on that note too, something that parents could do with their child, um, that I've, I've done with students in, um, during our wellness time, not, um, during active, uh, panic, but when they're learning about the, oops, when they're learning about these things, um, I have them sit, um, back to back and, um, this was pre COVID times back to back. And then, um, close their eyes if they felt safe and comfortable to do that and then um, see if they could breathe in and out at the same time as their partner um, so a parent can very easily do that with their child or um, putting your hand on their um, heart or their or their chest or their belly your belly um, so they can sort of feel and match those sorts of things. And there's actually this really cool thing that will happen. If you actually sit long enough um, uh, and breathe together long enough, um, your heart rate will actually begin to match the person that you're sitting with. Um, Our brains are so cool. That's exactly how the parasympathetic nervous system works. And when babies are born, right? If y'all are familiar with kangaroo holds, right, mm -hmm. that they talk about in the hospital, it's that skin to skin contact. And effectively, what you're doing, not effectively, what you're doing is regulating nervous systems together. So babies can regulate their heart rates, they can regulate their breathing, they can regulate their body temperature, when they have the skin to skin contact with whomever the caregiver is, because they're getting that sensory information that they can work to match. I started taking notes when we answered whatever this question was, because now I don't remember. I started to write down stuff, and then I was like, why? He's recording it, and this is going to be uh, – <laughs> I just jotted it down. You guys are throwing out such great stuff. And then I was like – I literally was like, I'm not even paying attention now because I'm writing down stuff. And I was like, wait, this is being recorded. So I had to share that, but there's – so many questions I want to ask, so short of time for, for this second episode. So if I can, as unfair as this is going to be, I'm going to rapid fire answer, uh, ask a couple questions for all three of you and segue to some other questions from some other questions we had. So with that being said, rapid fire round number one. Oh, you're looking at your watch. I'm not I don't time. have one. I'm not okay. I thought you were looking at the way you did that. I was like, it's just, it's just I meant fake. rapid fire, but I wasn't gonna like time you. Oh, okay. I was gonna um, get my timer out because sometimes that's helpful for me. No, but here's here's I, I have a couple questions that I think are more fair to ask in a rapid fire question, but I heard a couple things now through through all of this recording with the three of you. I'm just curious, and in the quickest way that you can describe why you believe this, and this is really unfair, and I want to preface that I'm sure you would have longer, more substantiated answers of why. I'm just curious, for anyone, what is your recommended screen time per day? I don't know. I'll, I'll, you know I'll go in my <laughs> I'll go clockwise again in my screen. So Sasha, if you feel comfortable answering first. I was gonna say I don't really have one. Um, especially because the kiddos that I work with are still on Zoom. They're automatically in school for those seven hours. That's a good point. Um so I would say outside of school time, screen time, um it's based on age, you know, for the littles, you know, an hour, maybe two, um, for teenagers, three to four but it has to be not just unplugged. It has to be 
playing a game, playing outside. It has to be something specific in addition to that screen time. It can't just be, well, you can stare at the wall now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I think I would echo a lot of what Sasha's saying. Um, again, I think it depends, like you said, Sasha, on the age of the person. I would also be curious about what's happening on screen time. And I the, the example that specifically comes to mind for me, I will use my phone for recipes when I'm cooking and baking. So like technically I'm using but, my phone, but, but I'm also doing something else. But that doesn't count then. Right. Is that what you're saying? I, I wouldn't personally count it um, because I'm engaged in something in real time, in real like life, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, I'm not gonna contradict myself and say, you know, all the screen time, but I, I think we do need to take into account that we are in COVID times right now. Um, and I'm hopeful that by the time the next school year starts, folks will be back in school full time and, and enough of the teachers and support staff will have been vaccinated that we should be good to go. But, um, yeah, I would say definitely not more than four hours in a day for anybody, mm -hmm. adults included. So for the whole spectrum, or not spectrum, but I would say like age. outside of, yeah, um, outside of Zoom time, because that's what we have to do with deal with right now when COVID is over. And I would like to reiterate for everybody listening, COVID will end. This, this pandemic level of COVID will end. We're all going to survive, save for the people who haven't. Sorry about that. May they all rest in power. But for the rest of us, hopefully, fortunately, we will survive. We will make it through. This thing will end. Um, but yeah, I mean, little kids need less time on screens because it impacts their um, brain formation development. But for, for most folks, for adults, I would say definitely no more than four hours a day. Four. Uh if I had to, so I'm looking at, I'm thinking about this from a, a so where I work, the kids are in school. Um, we do have some kids that are, are learning online, but most of our, our students are, are in the building and under our care for the day. And so I look at it this way. If a kid comes in to see us, we're just going to like round for easy numbers we'll say uh, eight o'clock. Okay, that's basically roughly when our school time starts. To uh, 3.15 is when school ends. So let's just round up to like 3.30, okay? A child then, let's say, let's just round you a little further and say they get home around four, okay? Um, if a child is getting four hours of screen time, that means that they are on some device from four until eight o'clock at night. And when you put it that way, that seems kind of crazy. Yep. Um, so I also say this while admitting I am not very good at it. I love technology. I love read like reading on my phone and all sorts of stuff. Um, it's a, an area in which I am working to improve and get better. I am not a perfect human being at all. Um, but honestly, I would say outside of work and school hours, probably what's healthy um, is probably no more than two hours for anyone. 
if we're if I'm being honest. Um, is that a recommendation I follow myself currently? No, but it's a goal that I'm working towards. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would echo that. So I don't have any problems you, with that. You you actually ended um in a great statement, a goal that you're working towards. The next question I wanted to ask you is as as therapists, um, you take care of a lot of people. Um, what are you doing to take care of yourself now? I know you're probably doing tons of stuff, but for the sake of time, and I have about 18 more questions I have to get to just on my first page, what's the top thing that you're doing or top two things that you're doing to really take care of you, especially because you're, you're having to help a lot of people all day. So what, what do you do to really um, balance everything that's going on in your life? I'll start. I have a garden in my basement that I'm currently growing, um, taking care of plants, growing them, being able to kind of bring nature in, especially because, you know, wintertime, I can't be in the garden all the time. That is my particular brand of self-care. So, um, you know, I've got herbs and tomatoes. I've got a fig tree, a banana tree and a lemon tree right now. So being able to kind of in your um, basement in my basement it's i want great. a base i want a basement <laughs> banana can i sign up to please get a basement yes. banana? okay <laughs> when i get them absolutely but Perfect. yeah it's just it's uh it's my outlet because gardening is hands in soil it's being able to disconnect from everyone and everything we we actually had um done an episode back in the summer uh early summer um uh, with not seed babies she changed her name to seed and vine i think Oh, um, she just, I, I, I hope I said it right. Um, but she was actually talking about just the, the, um, positive effects of hands to soil and what the soil in your hands can do with the nutrients to help your well being. let alone just what you were talking about. Um, the, the good that can come from just cultivating a plant from planting a seed to actually growing a basement banana. Um, the first word that Tuckerman ever had um, said was Nana. And I'm pretty sure my mom's name is going to be Nana, not because of Nana like grandma, Nana because he can't say Nanner or banana. And so when she comes down in the morning, she's caring for him. She's coming from out of town. The moment she comes down, he doesn't say good morning or get excited. He just goes Nana and points to where the banana is. <laughs> Um, so anyway, side, side story, but no, I dig, I dig that because that actually goes back to a past episode that we had, nice. um, about gardening. That's awesome. And sign me up for a basement banana too. Absolutely. Bananas all around. Instead of a cheers with a drink, we'll all be doing another episode together with a basement banana. Sweet. <laughs> or we could task, task a new drinks with dude with oh, basement bananas as a puree or something. Um, I feel like some bananas foster is coming. Oh yeah. Some kind of drink. Like no, not if he's doing it. It's going to be something with like other things that we don't know how to pronounce. Well, yeah, that's fair. That's I fair. made a pretty rocking um, banana liqueur. Remember? Was oh, you did. Beer? Yeah. That was, that was like, Oh, that was addicting. That's probably not a thing to say with three counselors <laughs> on here. <laughs> Sarah, how about you? What, what, as a therapist, um, what, what are you doing just to take care of yourself after taking care of so many others? Yeah. So um, I know you said one to two things, but I don't like rules. So I'm going to say four. I um, love it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've never best. liked rules. I've never liked rules. I, love um, it. I, I started running again during the nice. pandemic, which has been super, super helpful. I love it. Uh, when I can't control anything else, I control, I can control what my legs are doing and how my body's moving. Um, on, in addition to that, I do martial arts a couple of times a week. Same premise. I super love that. Um, I started playing cello uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, and so that's been super helpful. Um, and I've been doing puzzles recently, which has been super helpful. Sean is shaking his head. No, why? Why, Sean? What do you have against puzzles, dude? Like, what's going on? Tell me about this puzzle thing you have. I feel like we need to digest this one. Or, you know, like, why? I'm going to diagnose it. Do you have a puzzle phobia? No, no. I <laughs> think I liked puzzles until COVID started. And then <laughs> I discovered. Puzzle fatigue? No. <laughs> No, that that makes it sound like I did a bunch of them. I like went, I got through like one, and I just looked at Kimberly. I was like, I hate this. Like, <laughs> it's not puzzle fatigue where I did like twenty, and I'm like, I just can't do anymore. <laughs> nope, nope. I was just like, this sucks. I don't know. That is not my jam. No. So but, what what have, what have you been there. doing? If not if not puzzles, what have you been doing? Me? Yeah. Um. <sighs> podcasting uh actually that that was actually going to be um one of my answers uh oh. like no joke sorry uh, no no take your thunder no not at all um because it's it's something that i've thoroughly enjoyed um it's for myself i get to do it with you one of my good friends um you know in my little um lair as you put it um but yeah, like, I mean, just like take tonight, for instance, we set aside a, a good chunk of time and I just got to sit and talk about things that I like to do um, with some friends. Um, on other occasions, we've talked to people that like I wouldn't normally get to talk to. Um, and it's not I'm not saying everyone should go start a podcast. What I'm saying is everyone should find something that they enjoy doing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what it really sort of boils down to. Um, all of our answers will be very different because we all have different interests. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm kind of intrigued by the the basement banana. I'm not gonna lie to you, and I'm also jealous of the cello. I've always wanted to to play a cello, but oh, I have a wonderful teacher. If you want her contact information, let me know. She's fantastic. So, but really, like, I'd say the thing about self care which is really what we're talking about here is um, I think sometimes it's self-care if particularly if you haven't done it in a long time, self-care is kind of like dating. Yes. Um, where you're like kind of like getting acquainted with like your likes, your dislikes. Um, and so like what I think sometimes, and this is just my opinion, what I think sometimes happens with people is they try they haven't engaged in any self-care activities in a long time and so then they try this one thing because they're like oh well i heard about it on a podcast or one of my friends was talking about it like puzzles or cello or whatever you want to put and they try it and they're like i hate it um and then they're like well this self-care thing sucks and i'm never going to do it again um which they don't cognitively think that but like they just sort of like well that was a wasted effort um and, and the other part of, of self-care and dating is that it's honestly like taking yourself on a date. Um, 
you know, it's not taking you and your partner on a date. That might be self-care for you. But, like, true self-care should feel at the ver- at the end of it, like, rejuvenating and all those sorts of things. Um, I don't think it's self-care or... I don't think it's as effective of self-care. If you take 20 minutes to yourself, but then when you kind of rejoin after that 20 minutes, you beat yourself up for the 20 minutes that you took for yourself. That's not self-care. Self-care is like letting it, having an experience, being fully present in a moment, enjoying it, and it being like a rejuvenating thing. Self-care is sleeping while awake. The amount, like we sleep because we need, um, there are biological things that happen when we sleep. And we need to recharge our batteries and self-care does the exact same thing um in terms of recharging parts of our our body our personality our our brains um but we're just awake for it um so take yourself on a date take yourself out go to a movie or up to dinner or whatever in in response to some of the things that you were just saying, actually, t- I think ties into this next question of this rapid fire round that I wanted to ask. And um, this, I think, is probably one of the deepest questions. And I'm somehow going to ask you to do it in the rapid fire round because this was the last one I wanted to segue into um, a dip- different uh, direction of our conversation. So for that last question, what are some common themes and since all three of you are in different kind of um, backgrounds and expertise um, of who you work with, what are some common themes or concepts that um, you come into contact with your clients that seem to be misunderstood or um, some viewpoints that that your clients struggle with? And, and I'm sure there's a whole slew of them. So maybe um, because you don't like rules, we'll just say, um, rapid fire round. I was cool. going to put a number on it and then I was like, well, Sarah's going to like triple it. No, I will not triple it. <laughs> um, I will start though, if that's okay with folks, yeah. because the very first thing that comes to my mind is trauma. Um, and, and I use that word very loosely and very freely, but I have not met a single person in a therapy setting that doesn't have some form of trauma. And when I say that, people get really freaked out and really overwhelmed because they're like, I don't have trauma. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Let's hit the pause button. Let's take a step back for a second and let's talk about how we're defining trauma. What are you thinking of as trauma? This is the perspective I'm coming from. And usually those things are, are very, there's, there's a large departure between those two things. So I'm coming from the perspective of trauma being like literally just not having our needs met. Um, because those things, again, disconnect us from our caregivers, they disconnect us from ourselves. It's, it, that's a really kind of traumatic thing, right, to move through the world um, with a sense that it's unsafe in some capacity. So I think for me, that's the, that's the very broadest thing. Um, I think probably second to that would be like identity formation and development and folks trying to understand like, who am I and who am I in relationship to myself to other people, to the world, you know? So I think for me, those are, those are the two big broad themes. And then off of that, you see these sort of branches of uh, what we consider sort of clinical diagnoses, anxiety, depression, OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, sorry, um, those kinds of things. 
Sasha, I see you nodding a lot. I was going to say, I think going along um, the lines of trauma, because I do work with foster kids um, and I've got kids that are multiples in one home, there's a lot of comparison of trauma, um, which tends to lead to invalidation. So, um, you know, I've had kids before that have come to me and are like, you know, hey, I, I don't really need you. I talk to, you know, my my foster siblings and I haven't been, you know, sexually assaulted or I wasn't homeless or, you know, the only thing I had was food insecurity. And, um, you know, I, I get really anxious when I'm not in my safe spot. So having trauma invalidated because it's not seen as you know, it could be worse, and I hate that term. Um, mm -hmm. Mental health is not a comparison. You are your own person and need to be compared to yourself and nobody else. Um, and then the other thing is depression, because everybody sees, you know, in, the, in media as depression as somebody who can't get out of bed, who is sad and crying all the time and can't be motivated. Whereas I see a lot of depression as anger. I see a lot of my kids um, pushing people away because they don't want to be hurt again. They don't want to be abandoned or they know they're going to go back to their bio homes so they can't get close to any of the foster families because that might hurt them more in the end and they're trying to protect themselves. Um, depression can also look like the extreme OCD. You know, I have to be on the set schedule because if I don't, then my life is going to fall apart. So normalizing those broad spectrums instead of just saying you know this is what you see in the media that's not all that is let's talk about depression as you you know having a meltdown every time somebody looks at you the wrong way um, what's going on in your brain what are you what are you perceiving that what are you interpreting that as um depression is anger normalizing that in girls not just in boys because that's trend traditionally you know if you're male and have depression then you're angry and if you're female then you cry mm -hmm. um just normalizing all of those and kind of adding to that conversation so they don't feel like an alien in their own skin mm -hmm. yeah we call that oppression olympics right i use that term with my clients a lot like just because my suffering doesn't match your suffering doesn't actually invalidate anyone's suffering. Yep. Mm. So I had a really unique experience with this. Um, to be completely honest. So um, when I got cancer the first time, um, I can, I actually think, probably had a conversation with probably both Sasha and Sarah, maybe even you, Matt. Um, and I found myself saying things like, yeah, but like, it's not that big of a deal. It's just surgery or, uh, cause the first time I had cancer, um, they just did a surgical removal. Um, or, um, the big one that came back to, um, bite me in the ass was, but I didn't have to go through chemo. Um, and that was actually something that I, at the time, sort of uh, struggled with, where, um, like, I just kept identifying, like, 
Yeah, I, I don't remember. I think uh, Sarah said it. Like, it could be worse sort of um, situation. Um, and where that then became really problematic was um, when all I had to stand on was at least I didn't have to go through chemo, um, sitting in a doctor's office where the doctor told me, guess what, man, you got to go through chemo now. Um, I had invalidated like all my experiences up until that point, And then, um, then it was, it felt even bigger and scarier and more traumatic and things like that. When like the thing, the at least thing, like at least this didn't happen, then it happened. Um, and so, um, this is kind of going back to like the way in which we talk about things um and the messages we repeatedly tell ourselves um and why they sort of matter because um then i had to like sort of reconcile um the at least this didn't happen when it actually happened piece um and i had pushed off and didn't and hadn't really dealt with my own stuff um from the first time that it happened so then everything just sort of like compiled onto it onto itself um you know i feel like there's a lot of things that i just sort of say and repeat like it's okay not to be okay um you know everybody's got their own sort of thing um and um just because i'm in the midst of a struggle doesn't mean that like someone else can't be in the in the midst of a struggle and like all those sorts of things it's um it's it's not the trauma Olympics. It's not the, like, who's got it the worst. Um, you know, that just doesn't work out uh, well for anybody. Um, so, yeah, that probably didn't really answer your question, but, you know, that was my thoughts. So. <laughs> this has been absolutely amazing with everything that you've shared. And and the one question that I think we have to ask and, and specifically Sarah and Sasha would love to get your input on this for, for those that are listening who maybe have been thinking about trying to find a counselor or someone to talk to, but don't know where to begin. It's not as simple as just opening a telephone book and finding the first person that they find uh, listed. What would be your advice for someone that's been thinking about wanting to, um, find a counselor for them to talk to. I'll leave it open for whoever wants to uh, go first. <laughs> so I was going to say, I don't really um, have too much of this right now in my professional capacity because I do work for a foster care agency. So I am assigned to my children. However, um, when I have new kids that come in or new homes that I'm assigning one of my counselors to, it's kind of a matching game. Um, I take into account specialties. So if there is something that the child is dealing with specifically, I try and match them up to one of my counselors that either is passionate about, have had background experience in, or um, you know really does well with. So trauma, OCD, eating disorders, um, depression. When I did um do private practice it was you know going to like psychology today reading about the bios um 
kind of figuring out from friends or family who have gone for recommendations um, because it is kind of it. I mean, it's like a dating thing. You know, your personality has to match with your counselors. Um, and I would also say that, you know, if you set up an appointment with a counselor and you guys really aren't doing well together or you just don't feel comfortable because that's the biggest thing you have to be feeling comfortable with this person in order to share and open up and really do the work with them um it's okay to communicate that and find another counselor um we would in fact encourage it because we also don't want to be hitting you know this this wall where you know you're frustrated you're not being able to work through things with us and then we are feeling that we're inadequate and we're not reaching you in the way that you need to be reached yeah i would i would echo a lot of what you're saying sasha i think uh, the two three let me say three biggest resources for folks who are searching for therapists one is psychology today and that's a website that folks can go to just to clarify what sasha was saying you have the opportunity on that website to search for preferences of gender presentation for clinicians you want to see, um, insurances they accept, special like things they specialize in. Um, so like, for example, if somebody went to psychology today and they searched for a female who was in network with specific uh, insurance companies who specialized in like LGBTQ issues, my name would pop up somewhere on that list. Um, you can pick the like sexual orientation of your therapist if you want to, if people have chosen to, to disclose that. If you want a therapist of a specific race, you can choose that as well. Um, so that's a, that's a big one. A newer one that I fo heard folks talking about recently is Therapy Den. They don't have enough information about the specifics of how that website works to help folks navigate it, but a Google search will take you there. I'm would assume that the user face is pretty uh, intuitive. So I would assume it's fairly easy to navigate. But I think far and away, the, the place where folks start most often is one through a word of mouth recommendation, like you were saying, Sasha, but um, maybe equivalently or adjacently to that is going through their insurance company's website and seeing um, which mental health providers are in network with a person's specific plan. So that's an easy way to find therapists as well. Um, when I'm doing intake fo uh, with folks, so like usually the first session or the first two sessions, I'll talk to folks about, you know, what are your previous therapy experiences? Uh, what did you like or dislike about your past therapy experience? Because that's really important to me. Um, if it's your first time, again, what are your expectations? What's your sort of understanding about what therapy is? What are you thinking is going to happen? Um, and then I'll check in with folks about, you know, after our first session, after our first couple sessions, how does this feel like it's going for you? You know, are you feeling like you want to come back? Is this feeling like it's working for you? Or do we need to talk about some other recommendations for you? And that, again, as Sasha is saying, is part of the process. It's very much like dating. It's very much like trying people on, um, which sounds kind of like a weird way to put it, but that's sort of what the process looks like for us. Um, so I think, yeah, I think those are the biggest thing. There was something else that I was going to say, but I can't remember what it was. So I'll leave it there. And I'm sure um, if they were, if anyone were to look you up, you would be at the top of the list because you're just so badass and awesome. <laughs> Thanks. It's the haircut. <laughs> Love it. 
<laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, to sort of summarize everything, um, normal's not a thing. Normal's just uh, oh, setting on the dryer. Yeah. Yes. Um, everybody's going through something. Um, and I would encourage you to be authentically real with um, yourself and those around you. Um, and recognize that, um, you know, there's no blame or shame in um, recognizing that you need help. Um, and my advice go when you don't feel like the world is crashing around you, but just go when everything's great because, um, you know, again, you'll have made a really solid connection, hopefully with your therapist. Um, so when everything does hit the fan, then you have someone to sort of, um, bounce those ideas off of and, and help you work through it. Um, uh, let's see another piece of summary. We're all just human beings just trying to do our best. Um, and, um, that's okay. So, um, that, that's something that everyone needs to sort of keep in mind. Um, on yeah. that same note, I'm sorry to interrupt your thought process for a second, but I saw this really cool, uh, like meme thing a while ago that was like, you know, we're all just trying to walk each other home. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really cool. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I saw another one that said, um, you know, cucumbers are basically just water and humans are like 90% water, which makes um, humans basically just cucumbers with anxiety. Yeah, we're ah. complicated cucumbers. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about being compared to a cucumber, but I like I'll cucumbers. sit with that. I don't. I'll sit with it. I don't like cucumbers. I dig it. Um, all right. Well, this has been an amazing episode. A couple of episodes, actually. Um, so I want to thank both of you um, for coming on. Um, you know, if anybody has any um, sort of questions, I know, Sasha, you're in. Um, you're not accepting any people because of just where you work but um if you feel like uh sarah if, if someone wants to get a hold of you um how could they get a hold of you yeah so i have a website uh, bewellcounselingltd.com folks can go through there and send me a like contact us there's a, a form on the website you can fill out or you can send me an email uh, bewellcounselingltd at gmail.com and find me that way those are the two easiest ways to get a hold of me cool um yeah sasha do you have anything else you wanted to add no it's been a pleasure all right um matt how you doing bud i feel so smart just listening to all three of you through these last <laughs> couple of episodes so thank you for everything that you're sharing um i know sean um you're not able to take um patience either but there is a way that folks can get in touch with you and that is through following the dadass podcast on our social media platforms including myspace as well as emailing us at the dadass podcast at gmail.com please be sure to leave us a uh, rating or some comments when you listen to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to big shout out again to um ds and the goat herders our house band for our um theme song and until next time, stay strong, dadass.